We're studying uh, through a, a book in the Bible called 1 Corinthians. It's a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. It was a church that it was just kind of getting started, just getting its feet under it. And, uh, and they were having a lot of the troubles and difficulties. And so he had spent a good bit of time in the city of Corinth with them, helping them to get established, helping them to get started. And then he'd moved on to another city to start another church. And, uh, and reports came to him that there, there was a lot of things that were going amiss back in Corinth. And so he's writing this letter um, to remind them of the truths that they already know, but they need to be reminded of, and to remind them of the uh, significance and the importance of community and of, of their witness and that the way that they're living their lives is impacting the way that the people around them think about God and, and the way that they view Jesus. And so a uh, really um, relevant message uh, for a church like ours uh, in, in a time like ours to remind us what it means to be the church and, and what it looks like and um, uh, the importance of us individually making choices that benefit and bless our church community and the community as a whole. So um, it's a big thing. Uh, I feel like God's been, been speaking to me and teaching me a lot about this past year, just the, the importance of community. And so uh, we're going to pick up, last week we looked in 1 Corinthians 5. Um, if, you, if you weren't here and didn't get to hear the sermon, it was, um, it's, it's one of these crazy passages that um, it's just talking about this, this crazy outrageous sin that's going on in the church where uh, there's actually a man who is involved with his, uh, his father's wife, his stepmother, and, uh, and it's just scandalous, and, and Paul's like, man, I can't believe this is happening in the church. This shouldn't be happening anywhere. The people around you that aren't even, uh, have no inclination towards God are are scandalized by what you're doing, like what is going on, right? And so he talked about this sort of very specific thing, and the word that, that he gave them was that, hey, listen, approach this person, ask them to repent, and encourage them to change, but if they're unwilling ultimately to listen to you as the church, then you need to put them out of the church, you need to put them out of the community so that they can see the seriousness of what they're doing, and hopefully they'll finally repent and turn and come back and ask for forgiveness. And, uh, because the problem wasn't necessarily the sin, as, as crazy as it was. The problem was their pride and their arrogance and being unwilling to admit that they'd done anything wrong and, and pursue uh, the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus. And so that's really what he was encouraging them to do. And so uh, there might be a tendency looking at that to say, well, I'm not doing anything that crazy. You know, I'm not, I'm not way out there. And so uh, Paul continues in his letter, and we're going to pick it up here in, in chapter 6, where uh, he gets into some more, um, uh, more everyday sort of things that really kind of apply to the church at large. And I think that there'll be something that, that kind of speaks to all of us uh, in here. So let's begin just by praying and asking God to, um, to open up our hearts and allow us to hear what he wants us to hear this morning. Uh, God, we come to your word because we believe it's, um, it is just that. It's your word. It's your truth uh, that you want us to know. And uh, so we come not seeking to shape the word uh, to fit our lives, but really seeking to shape our lives to fit your word and to, um, uh, to live in light of the timeless truths that you're revealing to us in your word. And so um, help us not to just see with the eyes of our flesh and our culture, but help us to see with, uh, with your eyes, God, uh, as we seek your face this morning. Uh, we don't want to just know facts and knowledge and, and even truth, but we want to know you. Uh, we want to know your, your heart. We want to know your your, your nature. Uh, we want to know what it's like to be in relationship with you. So help us to take steps closer to that today as we gather um, and we study your word. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, and so we're going to begin, uh, just look at this first paragraph in, in 1 Corinthians 6. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 11 uh, this morning, uh, and we're going to start just looking at verses 1 through 8. 
And so here's what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So we're going to look at a few things that, um, that, that Paul's really pushing us to look at things, not just with a temporal, like an, an immediate sort of viewpoint, but to look at things with like a, an eternal viewpoint. Look at things in light of what is ultimately, eternally true. And the first thing he says is that, is that you claim to be the community of the living God, but when you have disagreements among each other, you go out to the courts and allow a judge who's not a follower of Jesus to try your cases and, and apply their judgment upon it. Um, and he says, man, this is, this is a defeat for you that you do this. First of all, that you even take lawsuits against each other. And this isn't like, um, this isn't like murder. This isn't like grand theft. This isn't these, you know, because if you watch enough like uh, TV shows like I do, like in the evening with all the law and order and all that kind of stuff, right? Like when they come, it's not, it's not the people versus this person or the state, right? Like when you commit big crimes, that's what it is. But these are civil suits. This is like Judge Judy stuff, right? This is like... It's like, hey, this guy sold me a goat, the goat then died, he knew it was going to die, I want my money back, or I want another, right? Like, it's that kind of stuff. It's, uh, these, are, these are civil cases, disagreements, and what he's saying is like, hey, that same thing that I just talked about in dealing with like this really big sin, sin issue applies all the way down to the smallest of things. If a brother or sister in Christ in the church, uh, if you believe they sin against you, just go talk to them and see if you can work it out amongst you. And if not, grab a couple other faithful believers, people that you trust, people who you admire, people that, um, that, that have wisdom, and bring them into the conversation and, and let them speak into it. And if they, that you still can't get, get to an agreement, go to the church, but, but don't take it out into the community because the problem is, um, you know, they're talking to the world around them and they're saying, hey, my life has been transformed by Jesus. I'm just a, a different person. I'm born again. It's like, it's changing everything so radically. And, and then the person will be like, hey, so what are you doing here? Oh, I'm, I'm waiting in small claims court. I'm suing that guy. I sit next to him in church, but he sold me, right? And the world's going to look and say, like, so what's, what's different? <laughs> what exactly has Jesus changed in your heart? Why, what, how are you different than any of the rest of us? You're just pursuing these, these small, petty things. The other issue that, that is at hand, and it comes out throughout the letter, is that there was a hierarchy in the church at Corinth, that there were some believers that thought they were better than other people. They thought they were of higher stature, and they thought other people were of lower stature. And that's not to exist in, in the church of God. And and so, uh, so the problem with the courts is that they were very corrupt back then, and they were very susceptible to bribery, and, and basically the wealthy could get whatever verdict they wanted. Uh, and so if, if a wealthy churchgoer was taking uh, a poor churchgoer uh, to court, there wasn't much question about who was going to win. And so he's really, a, it, it's an, additionally, it's an abuse of power. Uh, it's, it's an abuse of privilege. He's saying, hey, if you have, if you have the opportunity, why are, you, why are you asserting your power against a brother and a sister? Uh, in Christ. And so, uh, so we have to have this eternal perspective on authority. And beyond that, what he says is, is um, the Corinthians were very kind of proud 
and they and they did uh, they had all these spiritual things going in the church. So they spoke in tongues real wildly and 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 stuff. And they thought that they had meant they were mature. But if you remember Dave Edwards' sermon from a few weeks ago, he said, "Hey, you guys are just." You're still babies. You're still living on milk. You're not, you haven't even gotten to the meat. You haven't even got to the thick stuff yet because you're, you're not mature enough to handle it. And he's like, hey, if you, if you guys think that you're wise and mature, you don't have anybody in your church that can help settle these disputes. So he's kind of pointing out to him like, hey, maybe you're not as, as mature as you think. Because if you're really, if you're mature, if you're wise, then certainly you should be able to handle these things. And beyond that, uh, it tells us in Scripture in different places that, that when, when Jesus returns in his kingdom, that we will, we will be set up to, to, to rule and to judge along with him. And he says, so if that's your future, if the future is that you will, you will stand as a, as a judge over, over the world and even over angels... You can't decide who, who messed up in the goat situation, right? He's kind of he's pointing out to him, like, come on, like, get, bring some biblical, bring some eternal perspective to this situation. Now, the second eternal perspective thing that he points us to is an eternal perspective on relationships. And I love how he says it here, right? He says, he says um, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You've already failed. Have you guys ever seen like the fail blog? <laughs> and they just, somebody tries to do something and they just like uh, stamp the fail thing on it or the nailed it, right? Like when somebody tries to do some sort of Pinterest project and it like is a total fail or the Cheez-Its commercial, right? Where he's just like not ready, right? Like he's, he's just stamping him. He's like, man, you guys just aren't there yet, right? Like the fact that you're doing this is a sign of, of your immaturity. Um, it, it, it's... Uh, it's false. He says, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not be defrauded? And, and he's pointing directly here at, at, at um, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in what we know as Matthew chapter 5. He says, uh, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. That's where we get the term, go the extra mile, right? Give the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And he says, hey, Jesus said that even for your enemy, that if, if they ask for your, uh, uh, your, your cloak or your tunic, you should give them the cloak as well. I was, uh, several years ago, I, I thought when Emma, Emma's our daughter, she's 14 years old now, when she was like five, I was like, oh, I think she's ready for the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to start reading through this with her. And so... So we're going through, it's going pretty good, she's liking it, and we get to that part, and she's like, wait, what's a tunic, like, what's a cloak, I don't understand what he's saying. I was like, well, it's kind of like if somebody came and uh, looked in your closet and said, oh, I really like this shirt, that you should say, hey, you can have that, and you can have my coat, too. And she looked at me, he's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what Jesus said, and she's like, no way, I'm, right? So for her in that moment, that's where the rubber met the road. She's like, yeah, yeah, and, and, and we do the same thing, right? We read the Bible, and we're like, yeah, that's right, Jesus. Give, turn the other cheek. But we all, in the course of a week, we have opportunities to put this into practice, right? When somebody defrauds you, when somebody, uh, when somebody takes something from you, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? Um, you know, they come racing up, and you get in there, you're like, I'm not letting you in, right? Um, and and, and Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to do something that looks different than the world. Uh, one of the great examples of this in, um, in, in, in our pop culture and in, in literature and, um, uh, is in Les Mis. How many of you guys have seen uh, Les Mis on Broadway or seen the movie or seen whatever? Guys, it's okay. You raise your hand. Wolverine's in it, right? So it's cool. 
uh, even though it's like a French musical about, you know, the, uh, the French Revolution, right? But um, so in Les Mis, there's this, uh, the main character, Jean Valjean, um, uh, he gets arrested for stealing bread to feed his family because his family's starving. And so he steals a loaf of bread and gets thrown into prison. And most of us are looking and say, oh man, but you know, his family, who wouldn't steal a loaf of bread if your kids are starving, right? But he gets thrown into prison, gets out of prison. Um, he ends up at the, 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 the home, uh, the church of this bishop, and the bishop invites him in, gives him a meal, gives him a place to sleep. And in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and he steals all the silverware. And, and, he, and he leaves. Um, but he's very quickly found and arrested. And so the guards drag him in, a little bit bruised, a little bit beat up. They throw him down at the feet of the bishop. And they say, we found this man. He stole your silverware. We're bringing your silverware back to you. And the bishop, uh, and he had the audacity to say that you had actually given it to him as a gift. And the bishop walks up and says, oh, no, no, he, he, it's true. I did give this to him as a gift, but, but my friend, you forgot. I gave you these as well. And he goes over and grabs these candlesticks uh, that, are, that are incredibly valued, these silver candlesticks. And he says, hey, you took all the things I gave you, but, but you forgot the most uh, valuable piece of all. And he hands them to him. And, uh, and he goes and he, and he looks at him and he says, hey, your life's been saved for a reason. And it's that moment for him that everything changes. This radical act of grace, this radical act of mercy transforms his identity. It transforms the character that he becomes. It sets him on a life of seeking to do good. And that's what Jesus wants us to be in the lives of the people around us. He wants us to be the kind of people that don't do what's expected. The bishop certainly could have said, I should have known it. You know, I knew you were a prisoner. I gave you a meal. I gave you a warm place to sleep and this is how you repay me. And he would have been justified in doing that. But he chose Jesus' way, which is the better way, right? He says, uh, it says in Scripture that mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is just, but mercy is better. And that's the way that Jesus is calling us to act. And he says, uh, Paul is saying to the church, you're not doing this, even to your brothers. So I know you're not doing it to, the, to your neighbor who's not a follower of Jesus, right? Certainly if you're not doing it in the church, then, then, then you're not doing it anywhere. And so... And so the world isn't seeing the picture of Jesus that you're meant to present to them. It gives us a different perspective on the way that we're supposed to relate to one another. The third thing that he addresses in this, in this passage is an, an eternal perspective on righteousness, on how to have a right standing with God, on what is ultimately right or wrong. And that picks up in uh, verses 9 through 11. And so verse 9 says this, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, this is a, there's a number of things to say about this passage. First of all, verses 9 through 11 historically um, have, have, have at different times been preached really poorly uh, as a way to beat people up, right? <laughs> as a way to make a list of like, okay, everybody in here, if you hear yourself in this list, go ahead and stand up and head on out because you're not going into the kingdom of heaven, right? Like this is, get on it, right? And that's not at all what Paul's saying. That, that's not the tone. That's not the, the, the intention of what he's saying. The other thing that... Um, uh, Tim Keller said in a message, if you guys don't listen to Tim Keller, you should listen to Tim Keller. Um, he's awesome. We've got a bunch of books downstairs. 
super like brilliant. Um, but anyways, he was saying that the fascinating thing about this list is that um, depending on whether your, uh, your natural bent is towards the more conservative side of things or the more liberal side of things is gonna depend on what you emphasize and what you de-emphasize in this list. Uh, traditionally, historically, if, if you lean conservative, you're going to look at these, uh, the, these first few sins, you know, sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality. Uh, you're going to look at those things and say, those are huge deals. Drunkards, like, oh man, like those people. They're the, but you kind of like, uh, you know, greed, uh, reviling, you know, swindling. Hey, that's just, you know, that's capitalism. That's the American way, right? <laughs> Nobody should tell me how to do that, right? On the other hand, if you tend to lean more liberal, you, you look at this and you say, thank you for calling out the fact that greed is the problem in our society. It's all these corporations trying to make a buck, trying at the expense of the little guy. And, um, but, you know, what happens in somebody's bedroom, that's their business. That's not really for me to judge. So I, I'll leave that to them. And so, so we de-emphasize these. He says, only in the church do we look at all these things and do we agree with God and say, hey, all of these things are things that ultimately need to be um, looked at in our lives and that we need to, if we're in the wrong, we need to repent and we need to turn to God. And, and that, that ultimately that none of these things are things that will exist in the kingdom. And so let's take, let's take a, a quick look in, at some of these things on the list, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, sexual immorality right, is really any sort of, of, of relationship outside of marriage as God intended it. It, it was, you know, sex was given as a gift within marriage to be the seal of a permanent covenant, or semi-permanent, at least in this life, till death do us part, right? It's meant to be the, 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 the token, the seal of this covenant. And what it does is it helps uh, two people become one flesh. It becomes one. And that's the power. That's the, the intention behind it. And so any use of uh, outside of that, uh, whether it's with, with, with somebody who you're not married to, whether it's pornography, whatever it is, goes outside of God's plan. And it's... And it's um, it's something that we shouldn't stand in arrogant pride against, but it's something that we need to agree with God and say, yeah, that, that's not how it should be. I need, to, I need to look at it again. I need to change my mind. I need to change my direction. And I need Jesus to, to, to draw me in another way, right? I gave you the long example on that one because um, <laughs> I'm trying to set the pattern here, right? Idolaters. I mean, I don't know many people that have like a golden calf in their, in their home that they're bowing down to, right? But idolatry can be a lot of things, right? Some people make an idol out of their, their career. Some people make an idol uh, out of their children. Some people make an idol out of the, the perfect reputation crafted and cultivated on Instagram, right? Uh, people make an, an idol out of their, of their religious righteousness. And so idolatry is at the heart of really every sin. So there's nobody that that doesn't touch upon. Uh, he says adulterers, those that have made a marriage covenant and then break that covenant. Men who practice homosexuality, and this is one, obviously, like, in our culture, that that's one that jumps off the page of people, like, wow, like, what are we going to say about that, right? Um, and the reality is, is if you're, if you're seeking to be a follower of Jesus, this is something that you have to thoughtfully, prayerfully look at and, and, and embrace. What does the Bible say about this? And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is what I believe about this more driven by my background? Is it more driven by uh, societal views? Uh, than it is by God's word. Is, is the primary reason that I believe what I believe about this issue because I've looked to God's word and I've, I've read and I've, and I've sought his wisdom on the topic. And if it's not, as Christians, that's meant to be our primary place to look. Um, and so, uh, and notice that it says uh, those who, who practice this. So it's not talking about um, 
to have those desires is necessarily sinful. Same-sex attraction, right? People have that or they don't have that um, based on a number of things, factors and everything. Um, uh, the temptation is not the sin. It's what you do with it. The same way that you can be tempted to steal something. It's not necessarily a temptation to, to, to steal it. It's, it's temptation. It's, it's a sin if you steal it, right? And so there, there, you deal with, with all of these, these things related to this. Um, it goes on, right? Thieves, those who steal. Greedy, um, those that, that, that just go after uh, more is always better, more for me. And this is something that in, in America we like, you know, greed is good, right? The more I can get for me, the better. Like, good for me. Pulled myself up by my bootstraps and, and I just made a name for myself and, and people should celebrate me, right? But, um, but in God's kingdom, that's not how it works. Drunkards, right? At what point have you moved from somebody who just enjoys having a few drinks to becoming a drunkard? It's a question to, to ponder. <laughs> revilers. How many knows what a reviler is? Anybody? <laughs> it's not a word that we use, right? The revilers is someone who criticizes in an abusive or angrily insulting manner. Um, and so if you want an example of this, you can just turn on any late night talk show and watch the opening monologue <laughs> when they talk about the president, right? And they criticize in an abusive and angrily insulting manner. And um, I always kind of tiptoe around politics because, I mean, it's coming at us, right? Whether we like it or not, we're headed into election year. Uh, we got an election in two days that, um, that doesn't have like the big ticket stuff, right? But we're a year away from election. And so on Facebook, uh, in discussions with different people, one of the things that I love about our church is that um, we're, there's such a diversity that there are people that lean liberal, there are people that lean conservative, that, uh, that people vote different ways, people passionately feel different ways about things politically, and yet we can come together as a church, and it's a place where we can have discussion, and we, and we, can, uh, we can agree or disagree. But, but one of the things that I've found off-putting, and, and I certainly don't agree with, with uh, our president on a lot of things, but I think the reviling of him um, is it's, it's sin leading to sin, right? So on the one hand, I think that to, um, uh, it, it, that's an issue. <laughs> on the other hand, just so I can equally offend everybody here, uh, <laughs> I understand why people that lean liberal look at the president and say, how can conservatives get behind this guy with all the history, the allegations of all these things, um, you know, the, the greed, the corporate, you know, so, so they say, hey, I thought you cared about all those things. How can this be your guy, right? So I can see from both both sides why there's, there's questions and there, there's confusion. And as far as I'm concerned, I haven't seen anybody that's running for president saying, hey, I'm going because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do, right? And so, uh, so every candidate, you're going to have to weigh pros and cons of like, what are the things that they value? What are the things that, that they emphasize? And how does that line up with my faith? And that's an individual thing that you shouldn't be pressured into one way or the other. You should follow where God is leading you on that. So just wanna, wanna, wanna say that. Um, so we've got the revilers and the swindlers, right? And, and so here's what I really want you to walk away with clearly, and this is the most important thing. He's not saying, here's a list. If, if you can check any of these boxes, you can step out and, and move on. Look at, he says the exact opposite of that. He says in verse 11, and such were some of you. Everything that I just listed, there's people in this church community that have dealt with each one of those sins. Uh, the question isn't like, hey, do you have this black mark that excludes you? The, the question is, what do you do with it? Have you, have you acknowledged, have you agreed with God on what is sin and what is not sin? Are you seeking 
uh, to, be, uh, to be transformed into his image. Because look what it says. It says, that's such were some of you, but eternal perspective. You were washed. You had sin in your past, but you've been cleansed of that. You were sanctified. Sanctified means to be made holy, to, to be set apart, be freed from sin. He says you were freed from your sin. You were justified, which means to be declared or made righteous in the sight of God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What he says is, yeah, every single one of us can look at that list and, and find ourselves on there. But the question is, it's identity language. Is that who I am? At my heart, at the end of my life on my tombstone, will they write the word thief or will they write child of God, right? It ultimately, is my, my core identity a reviler, someone who's bitterly, angrily critical? Or is my core identity a washed and sanctified and justified and redeemed child of God? Am I somebody who my identity, and, and identity is really significant when we come to the topic of sexuality, right? Like, um, uh, it, 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 does my sexuality define who I am? Or is that a piece of, of my life, right? Am I somebody who experiences same-sex attraction but has chosen to bring that and lay it at the feet of Jesus and ask him to walk with me and show me how do I process living in the world with these desires that I know don't line up with, with what you tell me to do in your word. That's, that's the difference. Our identity has to be first and foremost in Christ. And so then when, we, when we we're tempted and even sometimes when we fail and we fall into temptation, it's not, that's not our identity. That's an anomaly, right? Our identity is a, is a washed, sanctified, justified, redeemed child of God and every once in a while, if I walk away from the word or I walk away from community, I can kind of lose the picture and I forget who I am and I go back into it. But then the Holy Spirit convicts me and grabs me and pulls me back. That's not who you are. I had an experience this week. I've debated whether to share it. And I can't tell the long version because it's too long. <laughs> but uh, on Monday, I had an opportunity where there was, uh, it was like in, a, in the gray area between trash picking and stealing. <laughs> and, uh, and I justified it in my mind to call it trash picking. And I went to bed, and I woke up the next morning, and I said, nope, I was wrong. That was stealing. And so, so on Tuesday, I, I spent most of the day trying to track down the person that, that I think would have given me this, but I never got their permission. And uh, on Tuesday all day, tried to do it, couldn't get in touch with them. So went to bed. Wednesday, got up. And, and I could have said, hey, you know what? I tried. It's probably fine. But, but my conviction, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. And so I said, all right, no, I got to try again. Went and tried to find them again. Couldn't, couldn't find them physically. Tried to look them up on the internet. Called a bunch of numbers. Couldn't get through. Um, tried, to, uh, tried to ultimately find a replacement for the thing so I could just, just put it back and just be done with it. Um, and God took me down this long winding path because he wanted me to feel the weight of the choice I had made, I think. And then ultimately, late on Wednesday, I, I finally call, called the number again. And the guy answered, and I said, hey, man, I just, um, I feel convicted. I need to repent. <laughs> I took something, and I didn't ask your permission for it, and, and that was wrong. I want to offer to pay you. I want to offer to do whatever to make it right. And he's like, well, yeah, you, you shouldn't have taken it, um, but, but you can have it. Um, and you're actually doing me a favor because I was getting rid of it, and I wanted to throw it away. And so you actually, you helped me out. Um, but, um, but yeah, you should have asked. <laughs> and uh, so that, if I was a thief, 
if that was my actual identity, I, I got away with it. Nobody was coming after me, <laughs> right? And I would have been fine with that. But, but my identity is not a thief. And I knew I was preaching on this passage too, so that helped to add a little bit of conviction, right? <laughs> my identity is a child of God. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to try and make what I had made wrong. I wanted to try and make it right. Not so that God would forgive me. Not that so that God would love me. I wanted to do it because I'm loved, because I'm forgiven, because that's my real identity. That I'm, God has made me into a person who will do what it takes to make it right. And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I say that to humble myself before you guys and say, like, I deal with the same stuff you guys deal with. I make mistakes. I screw up. And God's gracious. And, and he's forgiving. And he, and he works with it. But that's the process of a Christian. We've got to keep pursuing what our real identity says that we are. And for each one of us, that's going to look different. For some of us, it's, it's, some of you are facing incredibly challenging things. And that's what sin always does is it turns everything into this foggy gray area where you're like, well, I think this is right. I think this is okay, but maybe it's not. And, and you don't really know. And, um, and the trick is to re resist the temptation to take a shortcut, right? To, to wait for the clarity and just to go right forward and say like, well, you know what? I think, I think it'll all work out. Um, and so, you know, I want, I want to encourage you that we're in this together and we're called to, to encourage one another in that process of seeking uh, to do what's right. But, but it begins by this, this, this significant question of saying, hey, am I going to choose ultimately what is right or wrong based on, based on my ideas, based on my upbringing, based on the culture around me, based on what I read online? Or am I going to go to God's word first and say, this is my primary understanding of what is right and wrong? Am I going to let this drive how I live my life? And if you do that, then, then you're walking with the Lord and you're living in the identity that he's given to you. So the last thing I want to say uh, this morning is that um, uh, this is meant to be an encouragement when he says, such were some of you, that, that, that there is nothing that exists in your past that would prevent you from coming to a restored, redeemed, forgiven, washed, cleansed relationship with Jesus. Nothing. There's nothing in your past. The only thing that would keep you from doing that is arrogant, prideful refusal to accept the forgiveness that he wants to give to you. And so if that's the place where you're at and you can you kind of feel that and your heart's beating, you're like, man, God, I feel like you're pushing on me here. Uh, don't fight against him. <laughs> Agree with him. He, he wants you. He, he loves you. He's not trying to condemn you. He's not trying to punish you. He, he wants to embrace you. And so I'd say, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, make today the day. Experience that forgiveness. You don't have to clean yourself up. He's going to do that for you, right? You just need to submit to him and say, Jesus, I, I bring it all. The whole mess, I just bring it before you, and I ask you to make me into a different person. I ask you to change my identity so I can live in a new identity. And that's what was powerful, right, about, about what um, the bishop did for Jean Valjean. We all understood when he stole bread for his family, like who wouldn't do that, right, to take care of your family? Well, somebody, <laughs> somebody who said, hey, that's not my identity, I'm not a thief, right? But you can understand it. But what happened when he got out of prison, what was the next thing that he did? He stole, right? Because that identity of thief came upon him. Even if it was unfair, even if it was unjust, he came to own that identity that had been placed on him. And it took that bishop with that radical act of mercy and grace and love and and, 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 and forgiveness, which was a mirror of what Christ has done for us, when he did that into his life, it transformed his identity. That's what Jesus wants to do for each one of us today. It's to transform our identity.
whatever people have told you are, whatever's been placed on you, whatever's in your past, that doesn't matter. What matters is what God says about you. And if you're here and you say, yeah, no, I, I, I put my faith in Jesus. I know that that's who I am. Today should be a reminder, like, hey, is there, is there things? We all experience temptation. How are you doing with it? Are you living in light of your true identity? Are you showing Jesus to the world around you? When people look at your life and the way that you live and the community that you're fostering, do they say, wow, that's a picture of what the kingdom of God's gonna look like? Or does it look just like everybody else? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, uh, as I prayed earlier, I just thank you for the gift of your word. Without it, we wouldn't, we'd have inclinations about what is right and wrong, but, but because of your word, we can see truly and clearly exactly what it is that, that you want us to do and what the truth is. And so I thank you for that. That's an incredible gift. And now the, the ball's in our court to what we're going to do with that truth that's been laid out for us. Make us people who speak the truth in love, God. Make us people who value righteousness but, but extend grace and love and mercy. Help us to see that we're not better than anyone else, that there's no one who isn't a place that we've been in. Make us humble, loving, gracious, bridge-building, giving and forgiving people in your image. Lord, if there's those that, that are ready to enter into your kingdom today, um, I just pray that they would do that. I pray that you would draw them in. Let them know how much you love them. Give them the courage to take that step of committing their lives to you. I pray that in Jesus' name.